From The Advocate Magazine, I'm Jeffrey Masters, and you're listening to LGBTQ&A. Today, I'm talking to the singer-songwriter Rabel. You know Rabel from songs like 11 Blocks and The Village. We talk about what it's like to be a queer person working in the music industry. There are more openly queer people than ever making music, and it's really interesting to hear Rabel talk about occupying that space, as well as specifically writing songs that mention and refer to his queerness. So that is coming up. Now, if you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, please do that. I ask every week because it is so important. So please subscribe, rank us five stars, leave a comment on iTunes. When you do those things, it helps new people find our show. Thank you for that. All right, without further ado, here's Ray Wool. I love your music. I had no idea, though, what a successful songwriter you also are. Ah, thank you. Yeah. For everybody who doesn't know, you have written for Kesha, Adam Lambert, Ellie Goulding, Idea Menzel. You wrote the new Backstreet Boys song that came out. That's got to be pretty cool. That was very cool and very bizarre. How so? I originally wrote it for me uh, with two friends, Stuart and Jamie. And I don't know, it's just like you'd never expect to get an email that says the Backstreet Boys would like to record your song. I feel like that's not an email that you think you're ever going to get in your life. Right. And especially after, you know, they hadn't released music in years. So it was a total, and I didn't know they were like coming on the comeback. Even though that's exciting, were you reluctant to give up the song that you wrote for yourself? Not really. There's a, there's a few songs that it's like, don't touch this. And then outside of that, I'm kind of just like, if someone wants to record this and put this out, Godspeed. That song struck me because uh, it's not gendered in any way. Like yeah. the lyrics are, I'm not the kind of person. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. person they're singing to is Baby. Yeah, yeah, And I just wondered if you did that on purpose. That's interesting. I didn't. I have found myself in the past, especially before I, I put out a song called Bloodstain that was like, it was my first song with pronouns. And I was so proud. And I was like, on the, I was all fired up. And I was like, what have I been doing with my life? Like I've been lying, living a lie. But previous to that, I hadn't put any, you know, it was all kind of neutral. Yeah. Because for me, I am quite gay. And so listening to a song, sometimes it would throw me out of it a little bit to hear, like I'm relating through the third line of the first verse and then here she comes and I'm like, oh, yeah. No. I, yeah, and that sexuality was it's also like gender too. Like anybody right. can relate to. I'm a person. Right. Right. Yeah, but a lot of your music, the vast majority, do, did, like you said, didn't include pronouns. Yeah. And I just I wondered if that was like intentional to have a mass appeal too. I think uh, at the beginning it was because I don't want. Like I'm never going to write about. If I'm writing for myself, I'm never going to be writing about like a girl that I'm in love with. That's not the case. Um, and I think at the beginning i wasn't necessarily comfortable gendering it appropriately but then i was like no like yeah this is a if, if i'm writing a song it's if it's a love song this is a gay love song yeah I so mean, let's just roll with it even your song 11 blocks there aren't pronouns on there but right it to me hearing it the first time it felt queer mm. like there's a queer sensibility that i couldn't name cool yeah, I, I'll and, take that. Yeah, like, and I don't know, if, like, you can put words to that, but uh, like, I like, it's okay not to have pronouns. Like, yeah, we still yeah, get yeah. the message across. Totally, totally. I don't know. I try to not 
overdo anything for the sake of overdoing it. I just try to write things honestly. So if it's like, I want to say him right here, then I'm going to say him right here. And if I don't, then I don't. I mentioned 11 Blocks with that song and other songs that have been written about specific people. Do you always tell them it's about them? Um, You can't see my face right now, but I'm cringing. No. (laughs) With that song, I actually reached out to um, him before it came out and was like, hey, we hadn't talked in a long time. I was like, do you want to like catch up or like, and he was basically like, no. And I was like, okay. And so then it just came out. Gotcha. And I drew the map to his house and like the whole shebang, which is tattooed on my arm. Do you have every song, like a tattoo on your arm? No, okay. that would be overwhelming. But a couple. Can you work in the music industry today and not have tattoos? You cannot. <laughs> I had heard that. You absolutely cannot. It says, I'm not crazy on your hand. Yeah, it does. Is that a reminder to yourself? The more that I look at it, I'm like, you might be crazy if you're tattooing I'm not crazy on your hand. A hand is a strong position, too, for a tattoo. You know, that's like where I went first. I was late to the tattoo game. I got a little smiley face on my wrist was the first one. And within like two months, like my hand, which are like the job killers, it, my hand was just covered. Now you're unemployable. Now you I'm have unemployable. to keep singing. I have to. <laughs> How many tattoos do you say you would have? I have 29. Wow. So at that number, all of them can't have a profound meaning, right? No. I mean, there's a television on my arm. And people are like, what's that for? And I was like, I like, I like, I watch Wendy Williams every morning. Like, I like TV. So if that's like a least, one of the least profound ones, what is one of the most? One of the most... The first one is probably the most. Um, it's a smiley face on your wrist. It's a smiley face on my wrist. Kesha actually gave it to me the day before I went into treatment. For I'm a raging alcoholic. So I got this the day before I went in. It was my first tattoo. She did it with a needle, like a stick and poke. I went over to her house. And I might have gone like from there to rehab. Wow. That's cool that it's also like an incredibly simple tattoo to have that much meaning. Yeah. It was just a little reminder of like, she has a smiley face on her foot. Um, And so she wanted to give me this as like a little, I would like look at it. Speaking of I'm not crazy, I would like look at it and like, (laughs) I'd be like talking to it. (laughs) They're like, lock them up. I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're one of many queer artists making music today. I I, I don't know if there's more than ever, but like I can name more names than ever. People who are out queer. How about that? Is there any kind of community between y'all? Yeah, there totally is. I kind of tend to exist just in my life in general, like inside my apartment, on a double wide rocking chair. A lot of times I don't really go to a lot of stuff or like see that many people. But that being said, there totally is a community of us. And I feel like, I mean, I've been out here 10 years writing songs and in the past year, two years, I've felt that more than ever. Um, of just like support and and from other artists from other artists from other songwriters there's a lot of queer songwriters and that's pretty unique right totally behind the scenes in the music industry i think of as being fairly heterosexual yeah and also i i don't i mean i i like applaud all the queer musicians songwriters artists for coming out and for 
for being themselves and for being honest and for being open. And, and I feel like that has shifted the, that's shifted the room. So now the creative rooms become places that weren't necessarily safe feeling before. Now you're going in and you're like, well, this is safe because there's a bunch of homos in here. (laughs) Like now it's safe because we're here and we're like collaborating with each other. And we're like, it's just, it's cool. It's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Have you ever felt pressure from the industry to quote unquote tone down your queerness? No. Um, I felt that pressure from myself, especially at the beginning when I signed my first record deal, I wasn't out yet. So I was a scared little baby. Um, How old were you? 23, I think. Or 24. I have no sense of time. But I felt I kind of put that on myself of like, can I come out? Is that okay? Well, also because you're probably to put words in your mouth, you're probably yeah. looking around at the world and saying what other like queer pop right. stars are there. Right. And there's and it few. Was, I remember um, I was on a flight with one of my managers coming back, I think New York to LA or like Miami. And it was the day Sam Smith came out. And I was like, I cried like, the whole flight because I was like this is so cool and I remember being like whoa that's really cool and and like progress for lack of a better word progress quote-unquote has happened so quickly that we a lot of people like make fun of Sam Smith nowadays like like, it's easy to forget that he was one of the very very first yeah like at that level to come out massive like international number one pop star yeah. Do you listen to uh, like Sam Smith, Troy Sivan, Janelle Monae, Kim Petras? Do you listen to any of these totally. people's music? Really? Yeah. yeah. D- do you feel pressure to, l- or not pressure, but are you listening to their music to say like, okay, they're doing that. What can I do that's different? Um, not really. I feel like all those artists I've listened to for like just enjoyment. I don't really do listen to a lot of music. I try not in like some like I'm so like cool and like underground. I don't listen to like cool music. Um, but I, I don't really listen to like everything that comes out because it stresses me out so much. What is stressful about that? Just like, I don't know, new music Friday will come out and then I'll be like, I love this and I love this and this is better than anything I'll ever do. And this is better than anything. This is cooler. And these sounds are cooler and these lyrics are better. Or listening to something being like, this is trash. I hate this. Like, but this is, you know, making it. And like, what am I doing? And I don't know. I'm not, whatever is in my brain, um, it, it's like, doesn't help me. To, sure. I, it can throw me into this weird headspace of like, well, what are you doing? Well, that goes to the point too, that you can't just be a good singer. Yeah. To make it right, yeah. like you can't just write a good song. So, like, like how how do you describe what it takes? Like, what is that it factor? I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> I think to me, it's this sounds so cliche, but it's like honesty and authenticity. Like everyone's perspective is unique to them. No two people, even if they're really similar, you still see the world differently. You still see a breakup differently, and you express it differently. And so, I think. It's kind of that it's, it's being, it's kind of looking into yourself and being like, okay, well, how do I feel this? How do I see this? And if, if 
you're telling your own story, it's going to be unique because it's yours. So how do you uh, communicate that authenticity if you're not writing your own music? Uh, I don't know. I think at the same time, I think there are different kind of artists. There are there are entertainers and there are performers um, that are kind of channeling something. Um, if you're singing a song you haven't written, that's almost like a different kind of artist to me. I mean, there are like greats that have told other people's stories. Is songwriting fulfilling enough for you? Or are you writing songs and you like definitely want to also sing? Uh, I definitely also want to sing. But writing, writing can be like the best thing, especially working with an artist. My favorite thing, maybe even more than going in and writing for myself, which I think is just because I've become like bitter and jaded and like resentful. Writing with an artist that, that has that perspective and that has a story is a really, really, really cool feeling and experience. So when you write a great song, do you automatically always know it? No, I don't think so. I used to think so. And now I don't think so. People react to different things. I think yes and no, because there is a yes too. Because sometimes it's like, oh, we nailed it. I don't know. Even with the Backstreet Boys song. Um, don't go break my heart. I remember sending it to my manager and she was like, this is a smash. And I was like, I like it. But like, are you sh- like, really? It felt so like poppy and I wasn't sure. You described that song as poppy, but you also, you consider yourself a pop singer, right? Or not? Yeah, I guess. I don't, that, I have no idea what that word even means anymore. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> to be honest. Like yeah. every other genre you can specifically say like, this is that, but right. I don't know. That's interesting. It's such a hodgepodge. Good word. Which must be exciting though, right? It is exciting. I think that it's an exciting time because you can kind of do anything and it could work. Sure. If it's good, which I don't know how to define that either. But So you've released multiple songs, a couple EPs. Are you working on a full album? I am. Is that, God. is that an annoying question to ask? No. I don't know if I was like all. asking like a high school senior, like, where are you going to college? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Um, yeah, I am. I'm working on a, on a full length record. Um, and I'm very, 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 very excited. It's been like literally 10 years in the making. I've always wanted to put out a record, like a full length record. And I didn't know how difficult that can be. So from someone on the outside, me, <laughs> you did an EP five songs how is writing 10 songs like that much more difficult i think it's actually i don't know that it's more difficult i find it to be kind of more fun is the wrong word if fun had like a really serious definition it would be more fun i just love that you have you have more space so you can put that song that's like i have this song that's like seven minutes long with like weird droney sounds and like weird, like you can put weird stuff and not feel like, especially nowadays, like it's the pressures that are coming at you as an artist are like, what are the streaming numbers? And within the first 12 seconds, you have to hook the listener so that they don't skip your song. Cause if they skip your song, you're all going to die. <laughs> and it's like this kind of like, pressure of the listener has to know every word of the song before they even listen to it go and you're like whoa so when do you hope to have a like a record by in the new year it's hard to put together and pick the songs and stuff 
Yeah. Will these new songs be on the record? Uh, yeah. I, the newest song, if I'm being really honest, it probably hasn't been written yet. And the oldest song is about eight years old. Wow. So that's cool. That's got to be neat to look back at a song you wrote eight years ago and still like it. Yeah. I think that one of your biggest songs is 11 Blocks, probably. Do yeah. You, do you still like that song? I do. Sometimes I, I like chuckle at it. I love that song. I love that we told that story. I love that we did it so literally. Um, every so often when I'm playing it, I'm just like a little bit like, I can't believe that we did this. Just because it is very, 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 very true. Yeah. And very, very, very literal. Um, sometimes I'm playing it like on stage being like, I still can't believe that like I drew a map to my ex-boyfriend's apartment, tattooed it on my body, put it on like a huge tarp banner and toured around the country and sold t-shirts <laughs> and hats with a map to my ex's apartment on it. Maybe that's why people are able to sing along to it, though. I guess so. We can follow the story. Yeah, it's like really <laughs> easy to follow. I mean that in a good way. Yeah, totally, totally. When you were writing that song, are you also hearing in your mind like the woo-hoo-hoos that happen? Like, or is that later? No, that was that was actually like one of the first things that we did. And that's, I, it was, I wrote it with my friend Alex Hope. And I remember we had the verse and then we started doing the ooh, ooh, ooh thing. And we both kind of looked at each other like, oh. And that was super fun. That was a day, like, there's there's a handful of days that I feel like I'll never forget. And then I can remember, even now, I'm, like, beaming thinking of that day because it was so fun. And it was so, like, I felt like we were chasing this thing that was, it's the feeling of, like, it's kind of impossible to describe, but it's it's a feeling of, like, you're finding something that's already there, but, like, you keep finding different parts of it. And then your mind is constantly being blown. Yeah. Super amazing. You said that you were 23, uh, seeing that Sam Smith came out of the closet and you were in the closet. When did you come out? Like around that age. I literally have no concept of time, but I came out around 23, 24. So did you know that you were gay then? Or did you just realize it around that age? Oh my gosh, I knew for so long. Oh, really? Yeah. I grew up like pretty conservative in the church, the whole shebang. So even when I came out, I actually came out into a church. I don't know. It's so weird to be so far away from it now because it seems so creepy and like creepy. That time or religion in general? Um, Not even religion in general. Kind of that that place, that church. It was called Reality. I'll name drop. Um, Is it like, like Born Again style? Yeah, it's Born Again and it was super like, it's one of those places where it, they, it was like the cool church. Like they had like Coldplay guitar solos that like make you cry. And they had like guys with mustaches doing pour overs. Sure. So it felt like, oh, this is like cool. And so I came out into that church and for a very brief maybe month was like, I don't, I'm not gay, but I'm gay, but I'm not gay. I remember that month, actually, one of my best friends, her name is Yaz. I would, because I was sober then uh, too. And then I got unsober and then I got resober. But during that month, I would go buy on my way to work, I'd like go pick up like a bottle of crown and put it in my and drive to work with it in my lap. Show up at work, cry a little bit, go into the studio, 
call Yaz and be like, there's a bottle of Crown in my car. I left it unlocked. And she would come pick it up. And then that ha- that like kept happening for like a month. Because I was like, I don't quite know what's going on here. I just came out. I thought I was going to die, very literally. We ended up getting kicked out of the church. And that just was like a total, I don't even know how to describe that. Just a very like emptying experience. And very confusing when you kind of grow up in something where you feel like, this is loving and nice and people are nice and people are smiling and we're crying and we're hugging and it's so and your whole worldview is based around it totally your view of yourself your view of others your view of life and death and everything so and clearly there's no like timeline for coming out but that's just such a long time to hold that inside of you to like this thing that you can't tell anybody yeah i remember i almost came out when i was 20 uh when i was in treatment for the first time but I was in a treatment center in Texas and I like almost came up to like the chaplain of the treatment center. And I'm in hindsight, I'm like so glad that I didn't because I don't know what that would have led to. Like no offense to chaplains, no offense to rehab centers in Texas. (laughs) I don't know if that feels like the safest place in hindsight. Yeah. You said you quite literally almost died. You've written about writing a note, a suicide note. Yeah. Do you still think about suicide? Whoa, I'm sweating. Um, yeah. If we are very honest, yeah, it's a it's a dark corner of my head. Not a lot, but there's definitely things that can trigger that and turn the volume up on that. I don't even it's I don't, it's hard to know even what those kind of triggers are. But so it's not just queerness. No, I think my therapist says that it has a lot to do with that. (laughs) She says it's very difficult to grow up queer in a heteronormative society. And she puts a lot of weight on that. And sometimes I think I'm like, yeah, but that feels like a cop out or like whatever. And she's like, no, that's a serious thing. Um, And I also think, I mean, I've done a a lot of kind of self work. um, And I've found ways to purge feelings. Um, and I feel like I've, I talk to friends now differently than I ever have. I'm, I try to be more open. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't know if that's like a thing where some people have that corner of their brain and some people don't or what it is, but. I think they do. And yeah. it's environment too that adds and subtracts to that. But yeah. I mean, I, I used to blame everything on like growing up queer and like yeah. an unaccepting uh, world. And now I'm like, ah, it's a little bit less about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more about like my biology and how I translated things too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your current Facebook cover photo is a cartoon that you wrote and oh, it yeah. says, hello, my name is Needy. Oh, fine. I didn't know that. Are you Needy? <laughs> I am Needy. Yes, I am Needy. Yeah, I'm Needy. I like... Uh, I blame my parents. Uh, I used to come home from school and they would clap. I'd be like, Steve is home. And I'm like, you ruined me. No one claps anymore when I walk in. Are you an only child? <laughs> no. A lot my of brother is like not stoked on it. But I feel like I'm a little needy. Like I always said, I always said about like my childhood, I was like, I, I was spoiled, but I wasn't a brat. Or like I was spoiled and I was a brat, but I wasn't a spoiled brat. There's something in there that I'm still trying to work out. But don't you think that that mentality is like also what 
allowed you to believe that you could move to LA, like make it as a singer? hundred percent. I was talking to one of my friends about this the other day. I was like, we're all kind of crazy. Like there's so many people right now driving around or sitting in an Uber or on a bicycle or whatever being like, yeah, I'm doing it. Here we are. I moved to LA. I'm going to leave everybody I've ever met in my entire life. And I think that I could actually be on the radio. Right. It's crazy. How did coming out change your music and songwriting? I think it opened up. It started a process of opening up and of being more honest and of being comfortable with being more honest and of telling stories that I wouldn't necessarily tell. This, uh, th- I wrote this song called The Village. You said that's one of the most important songs you've ever written. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know that you could write a song like that. I don't think. It's not about a boy that broke my heart. The day we wrote that song, we kept just being like, whoa, this is so much. But that that really kind of, I mean, that song kind of, it sounds so cliche, but it changed my life, really. It changed how I want to create and what I want to do. And every song doesn't have to be that, but it, 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 it opened up part of my mind, maybe part of my heart that was like, that saw how much of an impact a song can have or just a story can have in general. You know, it wasn't a song where like, we're going to get on top 40 radio with this and like, this is going to whatever, but it, but it reached and continues. Every day I get a, a message from someone that just heard it. Um, and like I read the comment section of that song. I read it quite a bit, actually. Um, and one of the best things that I've ever seen in my whole life, not even an exaggeration, was some kid wrote on it, this comment section feels so safe. And I was like, I want to cry right now just thinking about that because that's crazy. Wow. That's amazing. That's also a great place to leave it on. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that's our show. We'll be back next week with an interview with DeRay McKesson. Stay tuned for that. If you've not yet subscribed to the podcast, please do that. Subscribe, rank us five stars, leave a comment. We have new interviews with the most interesting and influential members of the LGBTQ community every week. And then with the midterms coming up very shortly, GLAAD is making it easier than ever for you to access the tools you need to vote and to speak out on the issues that matter. To take the pledge to vote, go to glad.org slash amp your voice. That's glad.org slash amp your voice. You can also join our newsletter at lgbtqpodcast.com. It's a great way to stay to date on all of our new episodes, all of our live shows. That's lgbtqpodcast.com. We are broadcasting from the Advocate Magazine studio in Los Angeles. The Advocate is the longest-running LGBT news magazine in the country. Special thank you to our old home, AfterBuzz TV, to Jason McMurdy, and everyone for listening. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and I'll see you next week.